0: Welcome to the Kook Center podcast. And here's your host. Hey, bro, you mind putting on some pants? I find a little weird. I have to ask twice. Pants at a
1: time like this. And I don't have any.
0: What the fuck happened last night? <sighs> hey, Phil, am I missing a tooth? I can't. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. My lateral incisors, it's gone. Okay, okay, okay. We just need to just calm down. We're fine. Everything's fine. Alan, go wake up Doug. Let's just get some coffee in us and get the f*** out of the bottom before housekeeping shows. What am I going to tell Melissa? I lost a tooth. I have no idea how it happened. You're freaking me out, man. I got a massive headache, okay? Let's just calm down. How am I to calm down? Look around you. Michael Preston. Shows that clip uh, from The Hangover, mostly for the, you know, God, you just feel like you got put through the ringer on that one emotionally. Two of the last three have been just emotional ringers, but really oddly, uh, that game was the first game I did not have an ounce of alcohol before or during all year. As we were off to babysit my wife's younger cousins after the game, and it's got kind of poor form to show up drunk to do that, I find uh brian howell from buffzone.com and the boulder daily camera gonna join us in a little bit talk about the colorado buffaloes he's been so generous with us over the years uh for his time so we really appreciate him doing it again uh and as always we're gonna end our show with the dunderhead of the week and ask michael anything better we think maybe a little bit I think it might be fair to say that was a better defensive performance. They got three sacks, maybe not as many as you might have expected against a pretty not good ASU offensive line. But Brandon Ayuk looked every bit of an all-conference receiver, and that might just be because he was absolutely shredding Marcus Strong, as Jeff and Craig talked about on Podcast Versus Everyone. Jaden Daniels looks like one heck of a special athlete. And, you know, Benjamin, in the second half anyway, looked more like himself against this Washington State defense. And I think I, I kind of want to start with, you know, one point. I've seen it a little bit in the comment section of Kook Center, seen it on social media a bit. I, I really don't think you can ask the offense to do much more than they are doing or have done. About the only drive on which I think you could really ask them to have done more was that penultimate drive that started on the ASU 36 with 527 to go. Your defense stood up, stopped ASU inside their own 10-yard line, shanked punt. You had an opportunity at that point to put the game away or at least make ASU drive the length of the field to just tie the game. And... That to me is kind of like the one missed opportunity of the day, right? Because in the third quarter, they had two 90 plus yard drives. They drove the ball 90 yards twice. That's incredible. 14 play, 91 yard drive that started with 10.33 to go in the third after an ASU touchdown that put them up 24 17. And then tied the game, came back, and then another long touchdown drive. That's just incredible work. That's really incredible work on their part to do that. To respond like that. And again, you know, I I, I can relitigate Mike Leach's decision all we want. And I think honestly, the most egregious part of all of that to me was that the decision wasn't made quick enough to preserve that timeout that they had. That Mike Leach took so long to decide whether to go for it on fourth and five or not that they lost their timeout. They had to take a timeout because the special teams unit was rushing onto the field and the second I saw Blake Mazza and Oscar Degisevic running out there and Mazza having to get through his routine real fast... I was screaming at my TV to call the timeout. Because he was not going to make that. And you do not... It is not fair to put him in that kind of situation. So, I I applaud him, in, at least in that case, for t- having the wherewithal to take the timeout. But I don't like that the decision took so long to have to take it. I think they should have gone for it. I was okay with the field goal at the time. But looking back on it... Yeah, I know. Hindsight's what it is but fourth and five from the arizona state 14 you kind of probably know you really need a touchdown to salt this away because you don't want to let them you know they can't play for a field goal they got to play for a touchdown and with 230 left on the clock when you kick that field goal if you convert you're gonna take more time off the clock you're going to take more time away from them and their ability to drive to the other end of the field. Cause I think the other thing too is, is even if they get within field goal range again, it's a college kicker. It's by no means automatic. So, you know, it's easy for me to sit here and armchair quarterback it, but probably the right call there to go for it on fourth and five rather than kicking the field goal. Uh, but I, I think for the defense's part, They obviously came out inspired. They did what we said all week. They got off to a fast start. ASU punted on their first two drives. Only gained 20 yards on the first two drives. And so they did exactly what they needed to do on those drives. And the offense scored 10 points on their first two drives. Again, it's that fast start. But I think what we saw at the end of that half was kind of how quickly things can come tumbling down when it seems like everything's going wrong. You had a 26-second drive from the offense with a buck 55 to go that allowed issue to get the ball back and kick another field goal. So they scored 10 points in the final 2 minutes and 45 seconds of that half. And I think it kind of felt like, again, the wheels just kind of coming off the bus a little bit. That halftime gun could not have come at a better time for Washington State in all likelihood. And ASU comes out to start the second half, scores a touchdown. And then again, we talked about the offense responding. But I guess to me, if you're scoring 30-some-odd points a game in conference play, that should be good enough to win. And I think you saw flashes of the defense being better against Arizona State. Lamonte McDougall had a really good game. After, I think, some people being worried about his abilities, me included, I think he had a pretty good game. Really disruptive up front. Did a pretty good job of, you know, making room for the linebackers, making room for other pass rushers. I think, he did, I think he had a pretty good game. Did not register on the stat sheet anywhere, but when he was in there, he was disrupting a lot of things. Dallas Hobbs had a really good game at nose tackle as well. Jahad Woods played pretty decently. I think Justice Rogers probably had his best game. Will Rogers had a sack as well. Five tackles for a loss in that game. One forced fumble. A couple of pass breakups. But it still really came down to their inability to limit the big play. Brandon Ayuk had like what? Like four receptions over 20 or 30 yards or something. Including that 80 some odd yard bomb for a touchdown. And it's a, I, You know again like Jeff said on his podcast earlier this week. I don't like calling out individual players. But that might have been the worst game of Marcus Strong's career. Like, to the point where they were not... I, I, and I don't know whether Daniel Ison was just doing such a better job on the other side of the field at covering his assignments. But they didn't even bother looking over there. Didn't even bother. And that that was discouraging, to say the least. Because Marcus Strong, although not you know the best cornerback by any means in Washington State history, had at least looked serviceable up to this year. And I don't know if it's more endemic of the issues throughout the defense... But that was not a good game. And I know he would probably say the same thing. So I, I it, it's still incumbent on this defense to continue to improve. I think you saw flashes of them getting better. They played with a lot of intensity. They played with a lot of effort, which is what you want to see. It didn't translate to stopping a not very good offense. We knew Arizona State's offense coming into this game was not the strong suit of that football team. But, maybe they were. They played pretty decently against a stingy Cal Golden Bears offense a few weeks ago. Or defense a few weeks ago. But, this coming weekend against Colorado is where you're really worried. Because, I I was kind of going through some of the stats before I interviewed Brian yesterday. It's like that Spider-Man pointing at each other meme. You know where, last week, it was like two teams that are the polar opposite of each other. You know, ASU plays really good defense. Wazoo plays really good offense. ASU has a horrible offense. WSU has a horrible defense. In SP+, WSU's fourth. Colorado's 14th. Defensive SP+, Wazoo's 90th. Colorado's 113th. They give up the 115th most and 119th most. Or, no, like, you know what I mean? Like 115th best, 119th best pass yards per game in the country 90th and 94th in rushing yards per attempt they're both three and three that is is an incredible level of similarity to me this is kind of a get right game for both defenses they have not seen a better offense all year either of them at least according to the statistics there's no better offense than Washington State seen, and there's no better offense than Colorado's seen. And there's probably no worse defense than either team has seen. And I, I really do mean that. Northern Colorado, New Mexico State included for Washington State. And even if you believe that some of Colorado's offenses a of Paper Tiger, their numbers don't pop, like their counting stats don't pop off as 14th best offense by SP+. Plus. Steven Montez is... Got ten touchdowns and six interceptions. Granted, he had four against a pretty good Oregon defense. Uh LaVisca Chenault hasn't had like this blow-you away year. And the rest of their offense is again, you know, they, they have a few receivers averaging over ten yards per catch, but it still is is not this offense that you look at and go, Yeah, that's gonna blow the doors off you. But against this Washington State defense, that hasn't really mattered. And I'm kind of wondering if it'll matter against the Colorado defense, whether Washington State is really the fourth best offense in the country or not. We're going to find out uh, on Saturday but that Arizona State game again to just kind of put a bow on it, I, I think you saw some improvement in the ASU def- or in, in the Wazoo defense but the biggest point I wanted to make and it's the biggest difference I think you've you've seen between this defense and the previous years is that they are not creating turnovers like at all. They have one turnover in their last three games, and that was I think Bryce Beekman's interception against UCLA. One turnover. And that ability of the Speed D to generate turnovers to the tune of I mean, it was like two and a half per game at like the best under Alex Grinch, that that masked even, you know, a lot of inefficiencies on this defense they were able to end drives without time running off the clock and frequently in plus territory. Because that I mean, so that's what you're doing a lot of times when you get turnovers, when you generate turnovers, like Cosmos Queedy's fumble recovery against Houston, you're giving your offense the ball in a very advantageous position. And with how good this offense is, I think what you're looking at is an offense that can really take advantage of it if this defense could generate some turnovers for them. So, you you know, I don't want you to forget, like, everything that you think you kind of maybe know about this Washington State defense. They haven't been great tackling. They haven't been great in gap assignments. They got a little bit better at times against Arizona State. The pass coverage is still awful. But the biggest difference for me between this year's and previous years now with a three-game Pac-12 sample size is that they are not generating turnovers. And if you want to get to a bowl game, as we sit here halfway through the season, it's hard to believe it's halfway through the season already, by the way, but as we sit here in the middle of October, you basically have three opportunities, really good opportunities to win football games for the rest of the year. Because the rest of your road games are awful. At Oregon, at Cal, at Washington. Maybe one. Maybe And I think we all know which one I'm talking about. And even then, some weird berkeley East stuff usually happens down there. So, I worry about them playing tight because they know they really only have these three home games as an opportunity to win for the rest of the season. Or maybe they believe they can jump up and get Cal. But, if this defense can start generating some turnovers, can start picking the ball off can start forcing the ball out can start just putting the ball either on the ground or intercepting it. That to me will make the biggest difference in this second half of the season because again, it covered so many issues. You know, even if there were not very many for the Washington state defense, it masked, especially last year. That was a very average at best defense, but they went 11-2 and because they generated just enough turnovers and made just enough stops to put the ball back in the hands of Gardner Minshew and a pretty special team that had an incredible leader on both sides of the football. And how much of a difference does Hunter Dale make with a full week of practice as well, with having his hands on quality control and being on the sideline during a football game? How much of a difference does that make for this football team as well i do want to close it out with one other thing before we move on to brian howell uh danny gonzalez your cornerbacks got the crap beat out of them on saturday didn't they remember all that crap you talked about injuring people hurting people and being physical and tough with them and hard-nosed and your players targeting wazoo receivers it took like five guys to tackle des patman on a regular basis esop winston was just plowing through dudes They were more physical than every single one of your defensive backs. Like, and it's not even close. So I'm at least pretty dang proud of these wide receivers who responded quite well to Mike Leach calling them fat, dumb, happy, and entitled. Was that that all four? I don't remember all four. But that was a pretty dang good response. How physical you saw them be against Arizona State. So kudos to the receivers. Kudos to their coaches. You guys did a fantastic job. I don't think I counted a drop either. So no fumbles either as well. So that's a pretty superb day in my book. So kudos to them uh, for that quality work. Okay, Brian Howell from BuffZone.com and the Boulder Daily Camera. Coming up next here on the Cook Center Hour. It is time to get to know the Colorado Buffaloes a little bit better. And for that, we turn to an old friend of the program who's so generous to give us his time every year. Uh, the Buffs are on the schedule. Mr. Brian Howell of BuffZone.com and the Boulder Daily Cameron. Brian, before we start recording, you brought up something kind of interesting to me. This will be your third trip to Pullman in, you know, since like 2015, I think. You've seen the Buffs score three points there because there was that 28 nothing win for Wazoo in 2015 and then the rain-soaked storm where I think Colorado had like 150 yards of offense and managed to get a field goal before halftime. I think we're probably going to see a little bit more this coming Saturday would be my thought, I think, right?
1: Well, I would hope so. Uh, you know, I mean, it's been miserable. You know, I've been to Pullman twice with basketball as well, mm-hmm. and uh, the men's basketball team was favored both times and didn't play very well and lost those. So, uh, I've never seen Colorado play well in Pullman uh, in any sport. So, um, I, you know, I'm not a. Homer, but I cover the team, and it's more fun to cover a winning team. I'd like to see them play better than I've ever seen them play. In
0: yeah, that, and I, I kind of worried that it's souring your impression of Pullman. I never liked that, so <laughs> hopefully, we get a better one uh, this time. Uh, we'll start off new coach this year, Ma- Ma- Mike McIntyre gone. Uh, Mel Tucker hired before the season began. Obviously, uh, three and three to this point, exactly the same as Washington State uh, on schedule, ahead of schedule, behind schedule. What do we think so far? Under half a season of Mel Tucker.
1: Well, I think ultimately, if you would have uh, asked in the in the summer where they'd be, uh, you, if you said three and three, you'd say, yeah, that's kind of on schedule. But if you kind of watch how the season has played out, you know, there's some disappointment. Uh, it, you know, some people could look at it and say disappointment. There's two games, uh, Air Force and, and, Air, and Arizona, that the Buffs uh, could have and maybe should have won that, mm-hmm. it, that they didn't get, and so a lot of Buff fans say, "Man, we are." a couple of plays away from being five and one, but yeah, they're also a couple of plays away from, you know, maybe being one and five or two and four. So yeah. uh, they, they just played a bunch of close games. So I, I would say all in all probably on schedule. Cause they've, I would say they've won two games. They probably weren't expected to win. They've lost two that they weren't expected to lose.
0: Yeah. So it's kind of, kind of a, it's a, it's a transitional year at this point. Right. So um, yeah. I, I think everybody kind of knows uh, to, to me, this is a very interesting matchup. And kind of for weird reasons, I I spent a little time looking up stats uh, here before we got going, and these teams are literally just mirror images of each other. Washington State's fourth in SP plus in offense. Colorado's 13th on defense. Washington State is 90th. Colorado is 113th. They give up roughly the same number of passing yards per game. It puts them both in the 11ths in the NCAA. They give up almost the same amount of rushing yards per attempt in the 90s in the NCAA. Uh what is going on down at Colorado that makes that offense so good and that defense so not good from a very high level overview before we get into it a little more? Well, typically the
1: offense is good. I mean obviously the Buffs are coming off a performance where they only got three points at Oregon, but right. um you know, that offense uh is you know, real quick, that Oregon defense, by the way, is for real. I mean oh, they're, yeah. they're really good. But mm-hmm. um I call it his offense led by a senior quarterback, Stephen Montez, who uh, the Cougars have seen now I think three times, uh, if I'm mm-hmm. not mistaken. Um, he's, he's very good. Um, he's had a pretty good year other than that Oregon game, and he kind of makes things go. And they've got a ton of weapons at receiver. Um, you know, a lot of people know about LaVisca Chenault, uh, who really has not had the year that everybody thought he would, yeah. um, you know, because of injuries and just double teams things like that. But they've got so many other weapons on offense, and uh, they're just – they're using all those weapons, and, uh, and Montez is playing pretty good. So offensively, he's kind of, other than the Oregon game, really done a good job of uh, getting things going. And then defensively, uh, a ton of injuries, and there wasn't a whole lot of depth to begin with. And uh, we kind of knew that they weren't going to be great on defense this year. And if any injuries happened, that they were in, in trouble. Well, they've been hit hard by the injury bug. Right. And uh, they're just – I mean, the middle of the field is open – all game long every game and, and we just pick them apart last week and so uh I, I, it's not a great matchup for Colorado when you look at that Washington State offense and what they do but yeah uh, that's really uh, defensively they just give up a ton of big plays
0: well and I think that's the same problem on Washington State's defense we'll get more to that in a little bit you talked about Steven Montez in his senior year here at Colorado and I you know I think we all know about LaVisca Chenault Jr. is, is he healthy and good to go uh, in this game. He did play against Oregon. He played the previous uh, game against Arizona State as well. I think injuries have kind of always been something that held him back a little bit. But is he going to be good to go here? Full go against Washington State?
1: Yeah, I expect him to play. He's healthy-ish. Um, you know, mm-hmm. he got he got injured on his uh, his first catch against Arizona State, and uh, so basically missed that game, and then missed the Arizona game. Uh, came back against Oregon, and he did tell me after the game the other day that. Um, he felt good, but they kind of shut him down in the fourth quarter because he was sore. But mm-hmm. that he that he he was fine. He didn't didn't sound like he was like a relapse or anything like that. So I think he'll play this week. And I think it's just he's got a core muscle strain. And I think that's something he's got to deal with most of the year. Uh, but he was still, you know, they only had three points, but he was still their best player on offense. I mean, seventy yards receiving, which doesn't wow anybody, but all four catches went for first downs, and he drew two pass interference penalties. So mm-hmm. he was still very good the other day.
0: You mentioned those other weapons on offense, Brian, and it really is. I mean, Chenault's having a good year, but he is not their leading pass catcher. Tony Brown is. He's got 458 yards of receiving. He's averaging over 13 yards a catch. Katie Nixon's averaging over 16 yards a catch. Dimitri Stanley's averaging over 10 yards a catch. You mentioned that, that big play capability. It really seems like all of these wide receivers have the ability to find some open space. What What is kind of the thing in the offense? What are they looking to do uh, to get those receivers into open space against any defense, frankly, but this Washington State defense that gives up a lot of big plays.
1: Yeah, I mean it's really just uh, when Montez has time, uh, you know, he's able to, you know, find these these holes. He's just he's he's a veteran guy that knows the Well, it's, I mean it's a new offense, but he knows college football well he, he's not phased by a whole lot of things and he's just got really good rapport with a lot of his receivers and uh he's able to find them in space and he doesn't need a ton of space a lot of times to to, to find these guys i mean he he throws the deep ball very well most of the time and uh has done a good job with, with the short passing game as well so mm-hmm. uh, they just kind of hit people all over the place. I mean, they'll do a lot of those, you know, kind of wide receiver screens that turn into 15-yard gains. Uh, but then he'll he'll hit people with a deep ball uh, down the field. So um, he, he he can make all the throws. I mean, he's I, I would guess he's got a top five arm in college football as far as how far he can throw the football. So as long as he's got time, he can make big plays happen. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, lost leading rusher from the previous season Trayvon McMillan uh, Kyle Evans also gone Bo Brashard also gone I'm not saying Bo's last name correctly there but Alex Fontenot the new number one guy and he was pretty far down the productivity productivity depth chart uh, last year what have you seen from him that you like so far uh, in 2019 because again this is another area where Washington State has trouble defending and they pretty much do everywhere but it's not good here either
1: yeah, one of them, real quick thing, Bo Bicharat, is uh, now playing tight you. end for them. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, so he, he's been moved over there and been playing a lot more the last two weeks. So he's a guy, uh, more of a blocker, but uh, he's over there. But, yeah, Alex Fondo uh, really just kind of, um, you know, last year as a redshirt freshman was just buried behind buried behind a, a grad transfer senior they brought in and uh, just really wasn't comfortable yet in the system. Mm-hmm. He really is now, and he's really taken hold of that top spot. And they've really got three running backs uh, that can do a good job Dion Smith and Jaron Mangum are a couple of freshmen that have played really well Jaron's a true freshman mm-hmm. and uh, he's played very very well so they've got three guys that can run the football they love their running back position as far as talent there's no big name guys there but but Alex has done a good job and uh, you know I think it was 70 yards or 71 yards the other day but it was just Hard-fought, tough yards that he got against a good, work defense. So mm-hmm. he can run the football. And he can. He's got some some slippery to him. So he can bust loose and
0: uh, and break off a big run. Uh, defensively, I you know I, I go from the offense that for Colorado, like for Washington State, that's where their bread and butter is. But defensively for Colorado, it has been really tough sledding, like I said earlier. And you mentioned injuries being the key part of that. Has that been the biggest issue so far? Because I kind of look at these defenses and I see. You know, at least numbers-wise, the exact same issues. There's probably nothing that either of them really do well.
1: Yeah, you know, the first four games, Colorado was really good at making a halftime adjustments, and they played actually really good defense in the second half of their first four games. I mean, their their numbers dropped dramatic, dramatically in, in the third and fourth quarters of all those games, and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden last week against Arizona, um, that didn't happen, and and. I think injuries are trying to catch up with them. Uh, their their best defensive player overall is Mustafa Johnson, the defensive end, and uh, he got injured on the seventh defensive play against Arizona State, and he hasn't played since. So he's missed basically three games. Um, I think he's uh, day-to-day, as they like to say, and um, I would guess he's back for this week, but I thought he would be last week. so So I don't know on him. And they came into this season with three cornerbacks, with uh with experience and everybody else was was freshman and they all have scholarship cornerback to start fall camp mm-hmm. well two of those experienced guys are now out for the year Jeez. so uh, i mean they they currently have uh two cornerbacks that have played their number three corner um is a kid named Tariq luckett who uh was came to camp as a true freshman this fall as a wide receiver Corner two weeks in because of depth, and he has yet to play. So that's their number three corner.
0: That that so. <laughs> sounds that that sounds very unfortunately familiar to me. That, that, that <laughs> problem of moving running backs or receivers over to safety or secondary sounds familiar, unfortunately. Yeah,
1: and they, they've so they've, they've been bitten by the injury bug. I mean, safety Aaron Maddox uh, missed a couple games with a leg laceration. Defend uh, their nose tackle Jalen Sammy has left the last two games with injuries. Uh, um, so. You know, we'll we'll see how – I mean, they've been banged up uh, up Mm -hmm. front and all over the defense, so I don't know what they're going to look like on on, on Saturday. They (laughs) could give up 50 points or, you know, maybe they rise up and they they hold them to 30, which would be a a great accomplishment for this Buffs defense, I think.
0: I would be ecstatic if Washington State only gave up that many points. Um, I (laughs) noticed kind of the one thing they do do okay, Brian, is they – are around the football enough to force some fumbles to get some interceptions? They have six interceptions on the year, and if I'm counting correctly here, uh, at least seven forced fumbles. And I think with fumbles so much, it's you know it's just where the ball bounces at least. So at least 13 opportunities to either they have made you know an interception or forced fumbles. Are are they at least okay at doing that and creating opportunities to get the ball back in the hands of the offense?
1: Yeah, really. Other than this last week against Oregon. Uh, that's been a big deal for them, I and mean, that's kind of been the saving grace for that defense. And uh, I mean, they were they were leading the conference in turnover margin going into last week at plus eight, and last week they were minus four. So that's obviously changed. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they've gotten turnovers uh, just about every game. And uh, uh, one of their best players on defense, their safety Mikhail Onu, he's got I think four interceptions. He's forced two fumbles, so he's been around the ball a lot. But that's kind of been their. Uh, Like I said, saving grace on defense, just the fact they've been able to force some turnovers against most
0: teams. Mm -hmm. A lot of rain in the forecast uh, for Saturday in Pullman, Brian, uh, that is not unfamiliar for you, unfortunately, when you come to Pullman. (laughs) Um, And again, two teams that kind of look in the mirror and they see each other very good on offense, really bad on defense, especially Washington State here these last few weeks. How do you see – I mean, the over-under is 69. I think we're going to go over that. I don't really have a doubt in my mind about it. But do you think this kind of comes down – is this like a situation of who has the ball last or just who makes one more stop than the other team?
1: Well, I think it should be that. Um, but, you know, we talked about those last two times Colorado's been here. I'm just curious to see how they handle the situation. And if the weather is bad, you know, two years ago, uh, Montez was the starting quarterback. And he was so dreadful that uh, they yanked him at halftime and uh, and he didn't play the rest uh, he' didn't play the rest of that game and they mm-hmm. announced a quarterback competition the next week and uh, he didn't handle it well so uh, if Colorado doesn't handle things well then there this and Washington state kind of rolled, rolled with it but uh, then it should be a sorting test
0: yep do you have a prediction right now or just too early to even even think about that in the week? i mean i I you know I'm thinking high scoring, but I think the spread opened minus twelve and a half to Washington State, which I really don't understand that seemed like way too much to me, but if you had to put a number on it, a guess, no price is right rules here, just a guess, but what would you say the final score would be uh, yeah
1: um, I hadn't really thought about that, but you know I think I think twelve and a half sounds like a lot, yeah, I do think Washington state wins it just until I see Colorado. Play well in any sport in Pullman, then I uh, can't pick him <laughs> to win the game. Um, so I, I do think Washington State wins, but I think it's a it's a seven to ten point game. I mean, I could see something like a you know
0: a thirty eight thirty one or yeah. a 38-28 type of game. Yeah, not stress free for anybody. We'll put it that way. Brian Howe from BuffZone.com, right. the Boulder Daily Camera. You can check out his great work covering the Buffs there. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Well, thanks again to Brian Howell for joining us here on the old podcast. He is so kind to make time for us uh, every year. And the Buffs have been on the schedule like way too much uh, in recent years. It's like been some weird scheduling quirk that they've been on the schedule for... They were on it like 2012, then they were off in 13 and 14. They've been on ever since 2015. So this is five years in a row playing a team from the South. And it'll be six years in a row next year. So it's kind of a weird... You're only supposed to play it four out of six years. So that's it's kind of an odd scheduling quirk there. Um, I want to talk about one thing that, you know, I think myself along with many others advocated for so long for the college football playoff. And I, I'm, I'm pretty happy that we have one and that we're not just doing the BCS championship anymore, even though there hasn't really been a difference the last couple of years between who would get into that game and who wouldn't. But you're... You know, I I wanted more teams, but four is okay. And I think eventually you're going to get to an eight team or a 12 team playoff or something like that. But, you know, they're going to say they're pretty happy with it for now because they have to. And the powers that be, the playoff committee is happy with it. I think they're also locked into a TV contract. But one of the interesting side effects that we've seen as a result of that is that you really do focus on those teams that have a chance to get into the playoff. Right now, it's Alabama, LSU, Clemson, and Ohio State, one through four. So for me, it's interesting because you have these, you know, we we focus so much really on that top eight, really, right? Because it's not not too much outside of that that really has a shot at making the playoff right now. Oregon has a very outside chance in terms of a Pac-12 team. But realistically, probably not. Uh, they got to vault a lot of people and a lot of people got to lose ahead of them. So one of the weird kind of like side effects of that was, you know, the BCS era. Yeah, we focused on the top two a lot. But there was more focus, at least it felt like anecdotally for me on the top 25. And one thing I've seen kind of trend on social media here the last few weeks is that what's happening as a result of this focus on... The playoff is you're losing a lot of really great stories in college football. And I kind of tend to agree with that, uh, you know, to a pretty large extent because, I mean, it kills me to say Boise State is a great story, but they're 6-0. They have a freshman quarterback. They haven't lost a game this year. Baylor, as much as I have a distaste for that institution and the fact that their athletic department probably needs to be rolled up and thrown into whatever that river is outside of their stadium. Uh, They are also 6-0, had a nail-biter over Texas Tech. Southern Methodist, SMU, is 6-0 for the first time since, like, the Pony Express days. That's a really cool story. Minnesota's 6-0 in the Big Ten. Cincinnati's 5-1 in the American Conference. App State is 5 and 0 in the fun belt. Missouri's 5 and 1 after dropping their opener against Wyoming. Inexplicably, I have no idea how they lost that game. But that we are so focused on those top teams that we kind of lose sight of it a little bit. And I, you know, again, I think I don't really like, you know, saying that parity would be better for this because NBA TV ratings with the Warriors in the finals like the last billion years in a row prove otherwise on that one and that people tend to watch when there are dynasties afoot and in the same way they would probably watch another Alabama-Clemson matchup again this year because outside of last year, the games have been pretty darn good between those teams. So I think that, you know, although... People want to focus on it, and it is it is getting eyeballs to TVs. The unfortunate thing is, is that you're leaving a lot of these really cool stories kind of by the wayside. You're even leaving Wisconsin to the wayside a little bit. They're 6-0. They play boring football. They run the football a lot, and they play defense. That's boring. But they're number six in the country, right ahead of Penn State at 6-0. And the things James Franklin's doing in at Penn State is really incredible. I've literally just forgot what city <laughs> Penn State <laughs> Oh my God. I just like, just left my brain completely. So I, I think that's been kind of an unfortunate side effect of the playoff. Does it get better if you expand it? I think maybe a little bit because, you know, if you expand it to 12, I think what I've always proposed is kind of like the NFL where, you do six teams on each side of the bracket and the top two in each get a buy. And then, you know, as so you kind of do like wild card and then semi finals finals, and then the final game. So I think from that standpoint, that could fix the problem. It's not coming for a while, but I, it's, it's kind of a, a weird thing in that. I feel like years ago without the playoff, we were paying more attention to these stories than we might have been previously and these are these are some really good stories because again like i said you know I, i'm not very fond of baylor but they're they're coming back from what has been some pretty terrible football over the last few years smu's an incredible story with shane bichelle minnesota's six and zero, and pj fleck is he still rowing the boat in minneapolis i have no idea but you kind of lose some of these better stories. And I just I, I want to bring it up because I think it's a good thing to keep an eye on. I know I'm certainly going to give it a shot here over the next few weeks. I need to pick another, another secondary team other than Michigan anyway. They're going to get their butt kicked in any hard game they play. Why do all my teams stink? What is up with this? Nah, but anyway. Just a short little segment on that. Dunderhead of the week. Ask Michael anything. Coming up next. Fight song time. Underhead of the week time by the way I love that I'm getting suggestions for these now on Twitter like uh, the poor high school football player who intercepted a pass and ran the wrong way so like towards his own end zone and his teammate had to like tackle him ten yards away from running a ball back for Would that be a safety yeah that'd be a safety in that case yeah so he had to tackle him to make sure he didn't run into his own end zone I like that you guys are setting in suggestions that's that's awesome I love how I interact with the show. I was kidding. Um, no, the, the, the Underhand of the Week actually has to go to, as you may know, I think you've heard the saga of them building townhomes next to our house here in West Seattle over the past year and a half or so. They finally got finished about two months ago, and one got occupied about a month ago, and the other one is now full of, like, these two dudes who are very young, 20-somethings, recent college graduates. One went to UW. It's really unfortunate. Um... One drives a Mercedes too, which I think also might be part of the reason I dislike them because they're much younger than me. They drive a way nicer car than I do, but I got into radio for the love of it, right? Um, but in their initial, you know, like when you move into a place, you bring like a carload of stuff over at first, you know, maybe you have a mattress there. So just enough stuff to get you through a couple of days before, you know, you get a moving truck over there or whatever. Um, these two gentlemen decided to do that at 1215 in the morning saturday night so 12 15 a.m sunday morning they decided that would be a really good time to start moving stuff in slamming car doors talking in the driveway right next to my house and generally letting me not sleep until about 1 45 a.m now yes i realize it's a saturday night and i realize i don't have to work on sunday but the seahawks are playing an early game and also i'm old and i appreciate the ability to go to sleep even at a reasonable Saturday night hour. Don't move in to your home or your apartment if the clock says 12.15 AM. If, if there are bats out trying to eat mosquitoes, probably not a great time to move into your apartment. I was trying to think of a better analogy, but like if it's winter time, it's gonna be dark when you're moving into your place. So I mean, that kind of stuff happens, but still, Just don't be slamming doors and crap when I'm trying to get my beauty rest because I need a ton of it. A lot of it. Ask Michael anything. Ask Michael anything. Don't ask me about good times to move into apartments. Or moving. I hate moving. Hate doing it. Probably stay in the house longer than we should because I hate it so much. Uh, At WC Brady 27, Vegas bull Bound. Oh boy, I'd be thrilled with that. Give us the top five worst fan bases in all of sports, college and professional. Oh, boy. Ooh. Duke basketball. And I mean, specifically basketball has got to be up there, right? Boston Red Sox for sure. Uh, Dallas Cowboys fans. Uh, Oh, man. This is actually... I hadn't really thought about it. I'm kind of doing this off the cuff. I didn't really put... I kind of like to answer these off the cuff a little bit. I don't like to put a ton of thought... Into it because I wanted the you know, like the organic and whatnot. Uh, oh, that guy you know who thinks the MLS is horrible and only watches EPL soccer—that's that is a fan base. So that person, uh, and then I will go to round it out. I think I've kind of gone like through every sport here, or like every ranked college. Well, I don't want to say UW—that's too easy. Man, ooh, Tennessee fans—they are delusional. They are really delusional, folks. At WSU Cougar 08 Rick, you're stranded on a deserted island for the rest of your life, but magically there's a fast food restaurant on your island with an endless supply of food. You can only choose one. Which do you choose? Oh, man. Like, I want to say Jack in the Box just for the variability on their menu because they have tacos and, like, they have other stuff that's not just burgers and fries, kind of unlike... McDonald's or Wendy's. I mean Wendy's does have some other stuff. I think I'd go with Taco Time. Like that uh, really good quality fast food. I would I would go with Taco Time. If we're going like with a more national brand, I'd probably go with Taco Bell. Let's I would just go with the Mexican food. I really love Mexican food. Etsy kug six oh six Sean. How can cats fart and then just sit there looking at me like nothing happened? I do the same thing. Like I I just do that. At the last zoom Max Corgi, buffalo tenderloin or hamburger? Ooh, you know I haven't had a buffalo burger in a while, but I do remember it being very good. Uh, so I would probably go with that over hamburger. Although, I—if you want a good recipe for hamburger, I got you one. Uh, I'm just giving out recipes on this show all the time. I would go with Worcestershire sauce, salt, pepper, uh, garlic powder, a touch of Italian seasoning, some basil. And some parsley in the burger. So then you grill that up. Do about 80-20 on the meat if you can. And then right as you finish it, put a basil leaf on top. And then put the cheese down. Just trust me. At Litico21, Thomas Beeson, easiest way to get cancer. Sticking your head in a microwave or following politics on Twitter. Uh, What kind of wattage is on the microwave? (laughs) I don't know. At Green CPA, Brian Setzler. He submitted three questions. Have we seen a student design play yet? Uh no, none from that class Mike Leach taught. Uh, he's been a diehard Cook fan since 82. Every team has close games, but it seems we can't come out on the sh- we come out on the short end of those games more often than not. Is that something that can be verified? A lot of digging around. They came out on the right end of it a lot last year though. I mean a lot of those games were close. and they the Utah game and Cal game coming to mind right off the top of my head. Came out on top in those. Uh, And then why does Borgie get so few touches? I think he's probably getting enough. ASU was really baiting them into making him run that. They wanted him to run it in that game. And I think they also covered him pretty well when he was out in the flat, too. So teams just see that. They kind of abused that with James Williams last year. So you kind of, you know, you're going to sit on that. At Chris McKinterf, Chris McKinterf, candy corn? No, it's awful. At Cam Walsh, Katie Walsh, what video game have you always wanted to play in real life? Mario Party. Yep. Mario Party. I don't want to go with like a violent, you know, like Halo, Call of Duty, you know, all typical games that I played as a kid and I loved playing those games, but I don't want to be that in real life. Definitely Mario Party. I go with Mario Party. (sighs) Washington State 42, Colorado 38. It's going to be tough. It's going to suck, but I think they win on Saturday. It is going to be soaking wet. It's supposed to rain like the Dickens. Bring a jacket, for goodness sake. I feel like your mother. We'll see you next week on the Kook Center Hour.